Activate your energy. Welcome to the Activated Authors Podcast, a show where we distill the core principles of what it takes to become a happy, healthy, and productive author, no matter what stage of the journey you're at. I'm your host, Daniel Wilcox. I'm an international best-selling author, as well as an author coach, speaker, and creative entrepreneur. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student of all things productivity, psychology, and human behavior. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. Without further ado, let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Activated Authors podcast. Today, we are bringing you yet another Ask Me Anything, where we have sourced questions from the Activated Authors crowd, and we're just going to throw those out there and see what comes up. And so I'm going to say hello to Sam, who is facilitating the questions and leading this thing, and I will pass it straight over to you. You're, you're in the driver's seat, Sam. Okay, I'm just going to put my old lady glasses because I've got <laughs> to that point now where it's literally just shapes and colours if I don't have them on. Wonderful. <laughs> I think I'm far off of there. I hope I'm not, but... What, to be an old lady? Yeah. Well, I mean, I've almost got the same amount of beard as you, so I guess it's kind of... On its way. Yeah. Its okay, way. <laughs> right. Well, before we dive into the questions that we've got, this time we had um, that I could find anyway one question that we didn't have time for last time so I thought we would start off with that um, so this is from Pan and Pan asks how did you decide that self-publishing was best for you as opposed to trad mm. so I'll preface this because I've realized that um, what I've not done at all is prepare for any of these questions but at the same time <laughs> that's kind of that is how I live most of my my author life um what a mile at a time mate I know just one, one bit in front of the other yeah. Um, why did I choose self-publishing over traditional publishing? I think, um, so don't get me wrong, when I first set out to start writing and I was looking into how to publish and everything else, I, I ran my own um, freelance proofreading and editing business. And as I was kind of getting into the editing trade and the proofreading trade and, and sort of centering around writing, I did look into publishing and trying to understand a bit more about what traditional publishing was, how you can go about it, how you can kind of find you know, the information that you need and sort of pitch yourself to agents and all that kind of jazz. And I ended up buying the Writers to Artists, Writers and Artists Handbook, I think it's called, um, which was, it comes out every year and it kind of is just filled with useful links for agents and publishers and different things and kind of, it's almost like a directory to help you publish your book and contact the right people. And so I kind of, I don't know, I, I, I circled around understanding it more. But then when it came to, putting a book out there I don't even remember how I stumbled across KDP which for people who aren't, don't know is Kindle Direct Publishing which is sort of the the platform you use to publish an ebook onto Amazon and I I I just wanted to try and see if I could put a book on Amazon I don't remember why I don't I, I don't remember what the impetus for that was it was just huh I wrote a stage play at university can I put this into Amazon turn it into a book and get it okay it's selling to people and what I discovered then, because it was quite a short stage play, was that the the rule of how many pages you need for Amazon to actually like publish like a paperback book and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I tried that and was like, that's cool. I wonder if I could do this with a real book. And there was never really, I think because when I started, it, it was all for me. It was all, I just want to have my book on the shelf. I don't care if it sells. <laughs> I don't care if it, you know, other people read it. Obviously, it'd be nice if that happened. But um, I just I just was really much more interested in knowing the steps of the publishing process. So like I say, I've worked, like I interned in a publications team. I ran um, my own business, proofreading, editing. I've been around sort of typesetters. 
I had never been sort of close enough to go to like printing presses and stuff, but I'd worked with designers in my previous job on sort of magazines and, and um, prospectuses and things. And I just, I just, I just liked the process of making a book and then kind of writing for me, creative writing kind of came, like it was something I've always been somewhat interested in. I've always considered myself sort of all right at writing. Um, but it was, it was the publishing that really took me to self-publishing and then from there, I kind of went, oh, you can do stuff with this. Like people are reading my book. Why not keep trying to, to write stuff and grow from there? And by that point, I'd already had, I guess, the um, first taste of just having a book in my hands and being in control. And so even now, I mean, we, we were talking in a meeting earlier today about um, some of the books that I've got coming up and, and I'm considering looking at a traditional path. But I really struggle with the idea of, me wanting to put stuff out to reach people as soon as I can. And the idea of someone going, okay, yeah, this is awesome. Let's look at getting that in the calendar for 2025. Um, I don't, I, I'm, I don't know if it's just because I'm impatient. I don't, I don't know what, but like, there is, there is something I just really like about being in control. And, you know, I'm, I benefit from the fact that I, you know, I have a fairly good eye for design. Um, I enjoy lots of different stages as a process and sort of I like getting my my hands dirty and getting messy and kind of getting into the the publishing side of things uh, and if you're someone who doesn't have any sort of experience of any kind of like marketing or reaching people or what designs are good and what what aren't like it's it is a harder path but I do I've, I've kind of worked hard over the last sort of decade or so to make myself adept in enough of those things that I feel confident I can do that myself um, and actually sometimes I'll get a traditional book and I'll think you know I could have produced something that probably looked a bit better um so it, initially it was just I just enjoyed publishing and then from then on it became okay how can I grow this into a, a creative writing business I love that I love the fact that like when you first started it wasn't kind of in any way being like right okay this is what I'm doing now it was just a oh I've got this thing and I want to do this and how do I do this and then you just kind of stumbled upon it interesting yeah. side note um when I was younger I used to think that handbooks were in the shape of hands and the first time <gasps> I got one I was bitterly disappointed oh no yes. what do you think footnotes look like <laughs> I don't think at this point <laughs> I've heard about footnotes <laughs> but I just, just in the shape of little feet <laughs> little toes <laughs> like I, I don't think I'd considered the fact that uh text wouldn't fit very well on like the fingers in the page mm. Maybe, I don't know. But yeah, just thought I would, when you said handbook, I thought I'd bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. No, I am. Um, I, like I said, I never really, I never thought of it as a career. I just, I was just like, I want a book. So I made a book and yeah. the rest is history. That's like, from what I know about you though, that completely tracks. You're like, mm. oh, juggling sounds like fun. And then two I'll days, you're like, I can juggle. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Just like, I like, I like to do things, but also, yeah. um, even now that my, my process tends to be with my writing like I write I write for me so I know that by the end of a book if I'm happy with it I've done the best that I possibly can and so whether or not people like it that's out of my hands I've done I've done the best that I can to make me happy with my writing that's you know if it if it helps other people makes other people happy then awesome like if it doesn't then screw you <laughs> thick skin that's what we need guys thick skin <laughs> Oh, okay. And sticking with Pan, and um, this is a new question. So as in, I mean, obviously that was a new question to you. Yeah. But this is a new question fresh for this particular occasion, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, Pan asks, 
Did you feel weird showing yourself online, especially in video form? Did or do you feel anxious about it? If so, what's your take on this? And then he just wanted to preface the fact that the question has nothing to do with him. He's asking for a friend. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a process. Um, I never sort of set out to do stuff like this and have, have my face on camera so much and, and set out to be quite as public as, as I am, especially with a lot of my stuff, because I've made no secret of when I started doing the story show studio with Luke back in 2016. Um, the the Dan that presents himself, he's telling the truth about his writing, but he's definitely pretending to be, or not like he's not quite being truthful with himself because he's trying to play what he thinks a writer who is a podcaster should be, which has definitely changed over the years. I've certainly sort of got a lot more comfortable just being myself because I've seen how transparency and authenticity and just honesty helps people. Like there's no point in me sitting here and being like, writing is wonderful. I make like hundred K a year and it's really easy. And I spend all day writing books and then I cuddle my dog and then I go to sleep and it's awesome. Like that, that just doesn't help anyone because when a writer who does get to that stage is something like I'm drowning in work, it's really hard to balance like work and play and everything else. I'm doing something wrong. Like this is, this is life. This is, this is what we all have to deal with. Like even the person who's living their best life has their struggles and those struggles tend to be universal, just different scale. But swinging that kind of, kind of background to the actual question, um, it was it was it was weird. I remember Luke asking me if I wanted to jump on a podcast with him and do that together, and that was audio only, which made it a bit easier because obviously your face is sort of hidden and you're just talking. It's conversation, um, but even then, you're very very aware that you're saying stuff and people are listening, and so therefore there's some kind of influence that you are giving, rightly or wrongly, like. You know, it, it depends on the content and, and the listener. Um, but it was it was it was quite intimidating. And then my my early sort of social media, especially I used Instagram a lot, was almost like a diary of my writing journey. And the first year, year and a half, maybe even two years, is primarily pictures of books and pictures of scenery and pictures of stuff like I'm kind of barely in it. And what I learned from working in marketing was actually if you're on and Instagram is kind of one of my primary platforms at the minute, but Instagram tends to share more pictures with where it's like detected faces because it knows that it's meant to be a social platform. So if you have a picture of yourself holding up a book, it's going to go a bit more viral or like spread a bit wider than someone just literally like taking the cover of a book. And so it was that thing of, I wanted to reach more people with what I was doing. Okay. Let's start taking pictures of myself and it's clunky and it's, and it's awkward. And I don't, I don't think there is an easy way just to get used to it. I think it's one of those things you just have to start and go with that sort of level of comfort where you're just pushing outside of your comfort zone. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. So like, I'm much more comfortable now hearing my own voice and watching my own stuff than I ever was at the beginning because you get used to it. And we all, I think, maybe not all, but I think a lot of people tend to shy away from re-watching themselves in videos if it's like on someone's phone or you try not to listen to your own voice because it sounds different to what you hear in your own head and as with anything else as I say the more you do it the more comfortable you get and you kind of it, it's quite nice when you start to unify the person you think you are with the person you're presenting on camera and you see those two things come together so that I know that who I am now on camera is who I am off camera which I can't say for everyone I've watched, but I'm not going <laughs> to name names. But I do think there's a real power in kind of when people meet you or when people talk to you outside of seeing you on podcasts and things. And they're like, oh, you're actually 
you're actually that person and you know that just helps that deeper connection and, and sort of um facilitating moving your your business forward with with i'm trying to think of the right words but like your fans your followers that kind of stuff um so yeah it was it was difficult in the beginning but i also knew that it was beneficial for me um and that that part i'll underline because i'm also aware i think a little bit of where some of this question comes from and without saying too much obviously you know certain situations can be different so obviously there are good reasons not to be so public um if you're writing under a pen name or if you know you're presenting under sort of like a, a different persona sometimes that does work in your favor but what i would say is just find ways to be cheeky with it either like i know oh who is it um i don't know the name of the the person i used to follow but there was uh, a guy who was essentially um uh i think he was called the real indian dad or something and he never showed his face. He basically had one of those like iPhone sort of face cover versions of him that was mm -hmm. his persona online. And that was how he always showed himself in videos and everything else. And in that way, you're kind of still being somewhat real, but you're masking your true identity. And there is a bit of separation between the two while allowing yourself to connect and still be real. So yeah, it's it's a journey. It's a long journey, um, but it is worth it because it's very different reading someone's words to seeing someone and listening to someone and speaking to someone and having that connection. It's, yeah. it, there's something about, you know, the human animal that just responds much better to eye contact and voice and presence over sort of the written word and that stuff. So, yeah. I've got a small follow on question to that. Yeah. Very small. Um, Cause I have the microphone so I can. <laughs> I can do what I want. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> um, did your two one help you? That's all. <laughs> my uh, my two one drama degree, English yeah, and drama can, degree. Yeah, English and drama, not even I, a full. I mean, there was a certain element of the, the confidence that was built and sort of presenting yourself and knowing how to compose yourself under the different circumstances. No, not really. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, yeah, I've been, I've been, I've, I've done stage plays, I've done things in the past that help performing, but this, no, because performing as a character is a mile away from being honest and saying the things you truly think um and there's always there is always that part of me that like i'm sure at some point i'm going to say something that is going to bite me in the ass in like five years from now but at the same time like i can't use that as a thing that holds me back from like speaking my truth now and trying to like you know just share what i know but also trying to just grow as a person as you go along as well yeah. but no the two one didn't really help i just thought i just thought i'd bring that up for you thank you i really appreciate that well it's been at least seven minutes since i've heard about it so <laughs> i'd bring it up Okay, um, on a similar vein, um, Sarah wants to know, how do you deal with self-doubt and overwhelm? And do you have any top tips on self-doubt and overwhelm? How to beat them, not how to increase them? Okay, uh, so I'll get to self-doubt first because I kind of touched on that slightly. Um, so the way I tend to, I wouldn't say conquer because you know self-doubt happens all the time. Um, the way I try to get over self-doubt is that concept of knowing that i am giving something all that i have like i know deep down if i've rushed something and just put something out there and i've not really given it proper thought or like care or attention and i could have done better in that moment um what i do with every book that i write is write it for the avatar that i'm trying to reach which is essentially myself like in my non-fiction it's kind of who i was in 2015 and you know the, the things that i believe i wanted to hear but also like the stuff that i get from you guys and activated authors and where you're at like that really like 
helps me to kind of keep my finger on the pulse and go like, how can I work this in a way to serve you guys? Um, and and so like, as I say, as, as long as I know that I've given absolutely everything I can, I've researched to the best of my ability within that time frame. like I've put the best cover on, I've gone through whichever editors I'm happy with and I put it out. That's That's how I kind of get past self-doubt because that's all you can do you can't do anything better than that because as an artist you are always going to be able to improve you can write a book once six months later you can go back you can edit that book six months later you can go back and edit that book and it will get better quote you know subjectively but it'll get better and better and better each time and better sometimes just means like more representative of who I am then and so that can go on infinitely from the moment you've written a book until you're 70 80 90 um congratulations if you make it over 100 um and so it gets to a point where you kind of have to go, right, I need to let this book out. And I think this is sometimes where, where people struggle because you're, you can never be sure that your book is amazing until you've put it out and you've given it to the right readers who love what you do. And that moment of taking a book and looking at it and going, I, I'm the only eyes that have seen this or me and my editor are the only eyes that have seen this and suddenly going like, now I have to take this precious thing and put it through the gates and just kind of like hand it out to the people. That's terrifying. So sometimes yourself that you have to kind of ask, where do you think it's coming from? Is it because you don't think you're good enough? Is it because um, you don't trust the people you're trying to reach? Is it because you just don't know how to publish and market the book? And so maybe just educating yourself a bit more on the stuff that's coming up will help you feel more comfortable with moving through those stages. Mm. Um, and, and then the, oh sorry i do apologize I was do. the second part of that overwhelm yeah. yeah yeah so yeah overwhelm again it, it can come from a few things for me overwhelm tends to come from a mismanagement of my own time um not being clear on my goal um just severely overloading overloading myself with stuff or external life circumstances so you know if it's a mismanagement of time You've maybe got a bit too eager with how much you think you can do in that week. And so you're like, you're doing all the shoulds. I should have written X amount by now. I should have done this. I should have done that. And the reality is, you know, as writers, we get to dictate mostly, unless you're sort of like tied to edited deadlines, we get to dictate when we write and how much we want to write and everything else. So really like we want to push ourselves and we put, want to put ourselves in a good position. But at the same time, sometimes just question yourself and go, do I need to do this right now? Like what is going to burn if I don't touch this? Um, and then when I, when I get very, very overwhelmed, I do tend to just list out all the things that I'm doing because it might just be, I've gotten very, very focused on one thing. And suddenly that overwhelm comes from, but I know I have 10 other things. I just can't think of what they are and not knowing is the overwhelm for me. Anyway, that's, that's, so I, I tend to list everything down either in a notebook or on my whiteboard and just kind of like really go through each of the stages of the things that I'm doing and going, right, that's there. What's the deadline? Where, where's that coming up? Um, and just the action of putting that down on paper and knowing that you've got everything down there or hoping, hopefully knowing you've got everything down there helps to calm it down. Cause then you can prioritize and you can say, okay, I need to step off this so I can do this for a little while. Um, and then, like I say, sometimes it's just life stuff. Like things happen in life, things sort of knock you back, you know, whether it's sort of family or friends or, you know, your car blowing up or something else. And the thing that I find really, really interesting, because I, I'm exactly the same as well, but I'll talk to people where 
they'll be like, oh, I've just not been that productive this week. I'm like, oh, why? It's like, well, my car broke down, my partner got COVID, and this, 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 but I should have written like 10K. And by the way, I realized how that sounds, and that wasn't a dig at Sasha. A hundred percent wasn't. Um, but it, it, it's true. And you think, oh, I should have written 10,000 words this week. And the reality is, you know, other stuff has popped up and you can't, and we're not always in control of those external things. Like I've got stuff in my personal life at the minute, which is taking some of my attention. And therefore, and other things, whether I want to or not, I'm having to pull off the gas a little bit so that I can attend to them because writing and life aren't isolated. They're not, they're not running in parallel. They're a joint unified thing. So um, sometimes it is just being aware of other things that are going on and bearing that in mind as well. But I would say sort of the biggest thing that I would suggest to Sarah, if you are feeling overwhelmed, is trying to list it all down and then trying to look at what your expectations are of yourself. Like if you've got a deadline coming up that is self-imposed, fantastic like I'm, I'm i'm really like a massive proponent of setting yourself deadlines because it means that things get things happen like if you can hold yourself accountable to yourself like things happen and it's awesome but at the same time you are allowed to shift if you need to yeah i find um like you overwhelm generally comes to me when i'm i can't remember what i'm supposed to be doing and listing that stuff down it's like 52 card pickup for me like it's a, it's my life as the cards all over the floor mm -hmm. and then as you start to pick them up and sort them it just becomes like clearer and even if there is a lot to do just knowing what there is to do yeah it's very helpful yeah and sometimes it's just tiredness like i know um, that when i'm tired i cannot fully think of the landscape of my business mm -hmm. i can feel that and i'm sat there again like i know i should be doing something but i don't know what's most important and mm -hmm. so i will either step away like depending what time of day it is i'll step away and i'll be like right let's look at this tomorrow once i've actually had a decent night's sleep or again go for that list and kind of go right what is pressing right now and what can i get away with sort of moving to the side yeah um moving on then meb would love to know about book coaching advice like where to start she says she's had a couple of people ask her but she's not really sure if it's something she would be able to do so just she wants a little bit of advice there so book coaching there, there are so many different stages of obviously writing a book um and it depends which part of that you're helping someone to coach but the way that i i started i i soaked up everything that jenny nash who is one of the, what was the founder of author accelerator which is sort of like a one of the the main um book coaching certifiers out there and she does some like amazing stuff she's just an incredible woman um and i followed a lot of what she did just to kind of understand like the internet of uh, book coaching so she has a book called uh i think it's called read books all day and get paid for it which is kind of the the inception of where her business came from because you know essentially you are you're reading someone's book you're giving them advice and it's kind of a cross between being an editor and a coach and you know kind of just a, a bunch of other stuff as well my dog is drinking very loudly um <laughs> I don't know if you guys can hear it or if it's just my microphone. I'm like, that is, that is some loud drinking. My dog lives very loudly. So. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I'd kind of start with maybe that book and just look at the ins and outs. Uh, but it's also about establishing the parts of the process you want to get involved in and the parts that you don't. Um, and one of the first places I start with any conversation with a book coaching client or I've kind of I've moved more into what I call author coaching. So it's more so on working with the author and 
sort of productivity and the mindset and the, the habit side of stuff over sort of the ins and outs of editing and, and structural stuff. Although I do sort of advise on that as well. Um, but in those initial calls, even before you've kind of taken them on or decided if you want to do it, just find out what it is that they need and what they want. You know, if someone says, comes to you and says, I want to write a book, why, why is it you want to write a book? Is it because you want to be a full-time author? You want to make money? Is it because you just want to write a book for the sake of it? Is it because you just want to see if you can? Like there are numerous different reasons why, and whatever that is will help inform how you work with someone. So if your main goal is, I want to make lots of money, okay, like maybe there's a way that we can work to train you to rapid release and look at ways to build a series that, you know, goes, extends beyond sort of 10 books and you have all this kind of plan. Whereas if it's, I want to tell my memoir, well, how do we take time with this? How do we take you through the process of going through your story, putting that down on page and writing a book? Um, the main things, obviously, you need to know are how to tell a story. Even so, I, I obviously am not in profession in every single genre. My, my main genres are sci-fi, horror and post-apocalyptic. But I have coached in uh, romance, memoir and um, urban fantasy as well, because there are a lot of universal story structure beats. So it so I, I i go through and i as i say understand or I try to understand what it is that, that the people want to achieve what i would say is if you have a process and a structure on how you want to publish a book or how you publish books bring that to the table because the more you can standardize the process the less brain power you have to put into sort of tracking like where they are and where to go because you kind of know that oh they're at this point we just need to get them across xyz but at the same time remember that you know everyone is different and everyone who's writing a book is doing it even if it's for money off whatever like there's slightly different reasons so there is an element of trying to be intuitive and and working with them and really listening to understand what their blocks are how they write how their time is um composed so they can actually get the words down on on paper and yeah it's 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 a magic art form like i i really enjoy it and i think that you know it's something that i think probably you would get a lot of value out emmy um at the same time just sometimes it's just the confidence of, of jumping in it and going for it and i i tend to focus a lot on getting the book to publication uh i tend to back away now from sort of i don't i don't do a lot of like hardcore edits in um the stuff that i do with authors um and i also tend to not focus too much on the marketing side of stuff in terms of like uh, cost per click ads and all that kind of stuff because there are people out there that teach that better than i can but what I can do is set people up with the right mechanisms, the right platform. Again, having that system in place to go like, you need X, Y, and Z. How do we make that work for you? But so you can build this platform so that when you hit publish, they're off to the races and they can they can do what they need to. Um, like as long as you understand the process of getting a book from, from start to publish, you're in a very, very good position. Mm. You just take it from there. I think I think Hemi's probably cracked that now. I think so. Yes. Two books out this year already. Damn juggernaut, that woman. <laughs> um, okay, so back to Sarah, who wants to know more about your author journey um, and how you got into ghostwriting and if you've always been good at create, creative writing and did you take any courses? So basically just give us <laughs> your overview, how you got into ghostwriting. And uh, Renee just very quickly popped into Slack, and luckily I've got eyes everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> what is a good rate um, for ghostwriting generally? So I thought I'd sandwich that in, as Sarah mentions, ghostwriting as well. Okay. Um, so I kind of fell into ghostwriting by accident. Um, I 
was because it's hard to talk about the ghostwriting journey sort of specifically because obviously there's NDAs and things that I can't talk about. But so I I had started getting more well known for writing fast and putting lots of books out. And then I was in conversation with a bunch of authors and then someone sort of cherry picked, dropped me a message and said, uh, I, I need a ghostwriter. And it just so happened to be around the time that I was looking at quitting my job because I was very, very unhappy where I was. Um, and the two kind of, like the, the, the stars aligned and that step was the transition out of working full-time at my old employer into kind of going into a full-time writing gig. Um, so I'm afraid I can't, I can't really give too much in the way of like an, an easy path for people into ghostwriting. What I will say is Caitlin Duncan um, has got a lot of stuff on her YouTube channel about how to get into ghostwriting. And she's sort of gone a lot, a bit more in, down the um, building that reputation route and putting stuff out there. And she's got lots of links and things. And obviously you guys know that she's in the Activate Your Office Slack as well as one of our experts. So by all means, she won't mind if you sort of nudge her with questions for that. But it's, what I will say is that ghostwriting is a lot of fun. And it meant that I have written in lots of different genres that I otherwise wouldn't. Um, I found that because I've, I've worked a fair few years in marketing, I got very good with, so copywriting essentially is learning how to write different voices for different audiences. And so I am able to separate what my voice is in my books to what other people are writing. And obviously as a ghostwriter, you have to try and mimic voice and I'll kind of link it back a little bit more to some of um, Sarah's other part of the question. I've always been very good at mimicking when it comes to like drawing. I'm really good at copying other people, like not like stealing, but like copying other people's drawings if I'm like trying to do stuff or um, like music wise, I'm very good at sort of copying like on guitar and, and piano and things. And so with writing, it's, it's, I don't know what it is. It's quite easy for me to get a sense of how someone writes, the tone of their voice, kind of their word choice, their, um, how they style their dialogue and looking at even just the construction of how long and short their sentences are so you can really get a rhythm and a pace of, of what that writer is and that's the stuff you need to get good at you really need to learn to put your own thoughts on writing aside because if you're ghostwriting for someone they don't write like you and so you know that you know <laughs> it has its pros and cons because as I say you, you get these different styles but there have certainly been points in which I started writing my own stuff and I've gone oh no I'm writing someone else's voice and you always have to like refine your your tone, um, which comes back easily enough. But it's it's something to consider. Um, but yeah, it's 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 just great experience to work with editors, to work with um, other authors that are doing well, seeing what it is they're doing well, so you can kind of take some of that stuff, um, and then getting an insight into, as I say, writing writing other genres under just a mask, like nobody knows the books that are out there that I've done that to be fair are selling pretty well and I get a lot of people saying like do you mind that like the books are out there and they're, they're you know being read by people and it's like honestly no because I want to be known for horror like I don't want to be known for sort of paranormal suspense or lit RPG or anything like that that's just that's just not me so it's it's great for experience um and yeah if it's something that you know you're interested in then just see if you can well number one check out Caitlin's stuff because she's got loads of cool stuff on ghostwriting um, but there are loads of services online and places where you can put yourself forward as a ghostwriter and try and connect with people and get started and, and putting it out there. And would you say, because... Oh, and the uh, rate as well, I'll do in a sec. <laughs> oh, the rate, yeah. yeah. Um, and I was just going to say, would you say, um, because Sarah asked about kind of if you had any like creative writing training or anything like that, mm. um, would you say that ghostwriting was kind of, in a way 
your like playground, your learning ground of, of finding your a little bit a, yeah a little bit um so i i've i've never done any kind of i've never done any sort of formal creative writing qualifications or or courses or anything um i what? sorry joke <laughs> i i enjoyed writing odd bits of stories when i was a kid but i was like it was more that i loved reading and then the first real bit of creating creative writing that i did i was 17 at college and there was one of our modules where we could just write a short story um and apparently like going back over the years the more i think about it the more i have like i do have a bit of a just a rebellious streak in me and we were like allowed to write whatever we wanted to and so i said does that include erotica and the tutor was like i don't see why not so i ended up writing like this horror erotica short story and handing it over to my tutors when i was 17 yeah, it, it's just as bad as it sounds. Like it, <laughs> it wasn't great. Um, it was just that thing of like, well, let's see, let's see how far I could push these boundaries. But like, all all of that aside, some of the, some of the writing in that I did, I was I was quite happy with. But it was definitely me trying to like show off how good a writer I was when I really wasn't. And then I I did English and drama at uni, which did not help at all. Um, the one thing that was fun was uh, I did the write your own play module um, and wrote a, a stage play that got considered for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival which was a lot of fun um, and kind of doing that I, I got a bit more familiar with voice and pace and theme and tone and that kind of stuff and then just nothing like I just, I just enjoyed reading and then when I wrote Sins of Smoke I just I just wrote a story like I say I've, I've, I've always I've always been a lover of words and I've worked for years in marketing and sort of I enjoyed copywriting and selling things and putting stuff out there. And I think that that was a big part of helping was, like I say, just understanding the audience I'm trying to reach and how word usage can really sort of either pull people in or, or push them away. And the tone that I needed for the stories that I was telling. So it's kind of it's gone from there. But now I've never outside of that, I've never done a course. Well, I've done I've read books, but I've never like really done like a writing course or anything. I think that's really interesting. Um, there's still, in my opinion anyway, like this very kind of elitist opinion that to be a writer, you must train to be a writer. To be a writer, you just have to make a reader happy. To be a writer, yeah, like just write. Yeah. And I think a lot of the time, people's kind of life experience or like previous jobs they've had is actually incredible training so like you were talking yeah. about marketing and a huge on transferable skills yeah yeah exactly so yeah i just yeah there was um is it wattpad yeah wattpad where mm. essentially social media for for writers you throw chapters up like I, I did that for a while that was i think i didn't get very far with that but that was quite fun but on that i saw how many stories were read by millions of people that were arguably good stories but they were so poorly like written in terms of typos and grammar and everything else and stuff like that where you go you know what if people can look past that and enjoy the story you don't have to be perfect you just have to have the imagination and the want and the drive to go let's let's entertain someone i genuinely i genuinely believe that everyone has the ability to write a story like whether or not like you might need more editing and more working with sort of proofreaders and stuff than other people but the core of a story like there's someone out there that wants to hear it okay so we're going to move in a slightly different direction now um, for the, the kind of the last section of this. We're going to head into cholera. 
Ooh. Horror. horror, if you will. Uh -oh. And if you won't, tough, because that's what the questions ask. <laughs> so Ara wants to know, what are your favourite and least favourite tropes in horror and why? And are there any horror cliches that you love or hate? What grates your cheddar about horror? Go. I dislike splatter gore and just general chaos and fuckery for the sake of it. Um, there's a lot of, I say a lot of, I've not read loads, but there are definitely books out there where it's just like, let's throw a monster in and let's have them just tear one up and let's get really visceral and gross. And it's like, that can be done well, but if it's too egregious and it feels like it's just been thrown in there because you want to have a bit of just splatter porn that's, that doesn't really work for me. Um, I really like sort of deep, thoughtful, psychological horror where you really get inside someone's head and uh, you kind of go along with the character on their journey at a very deep level. If, if I can see through someone else's eyes and really witness like horror in the small things, um, I think that's really, really effective. Uh, my my favourite trope, or my favourite sort of technique um, is when people don't reveal the monster. I absolutely love that. And Josh Malaman does it incredibly in Bird Box where the entire time you, you get a feel for what these monsters can do and they're so well described just from like the peripheral things that they're capable of and like the smell and the sound and everything else. And spoiler alert, cover your ears if you've not yet watched or, or seen Bird Box, but you never see the monster. And there's something so powerful in that because I've, I've said this on lots of things before, the most powerful monster or the best way to make someone really fear a monster is let someone create a monster in their own head. Because the minute you unveil the monster, all of that mystery, which is where the fear comes from, goes. And obviously you can then freak someone out by being like, oh, they've got five eyes and like six fangs and they're, they're doing this, whatever your monster is. But it's it's the build-up. It's it's the mystery. It's It's when you're lying in your bedroom at night in the dark and you hear a noise and you're like, this could be anything yeah that's that's what i really really like in horror um and as i say really psychological really sort of in-depth where i like um like in terms of horror films get out is fantastic because it really drives sort of i'm trying to think how to say it like you know something's going on and it's all played in like the tiny little things people say and just the way they say it and it's not necessarily anything too insidious to begin with or anything too um, aggressively physical and in your face, but it's all these little touches and you're like, something's going on, something's weird. Like just the way, if you're standing in a crowd, someone can smile in a certain way and that can trigger you, that can set your, your hackles like raised because you're like, this isn't normal, but you don't know why, because it's just the tiniest thing. So I like I like finding, finding those things and sort of twisting them and, and sticking a pin in it. You'd love to walk through life as a woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, River asks, when writing a horror scene, what elements do you find are necessary to set the tone? So I'm assuming in this question, she's referring to kind of like the horror in the horror mm. genre. If that makes sense. Um, I think it depends on your voice as a writer as to what you kind of play more on, like. Um, Dialogue can be very, very powerful in sort of what is said and what isn't said. Uh, I I really do lean heavily on 
pathetic fallacy and sort of personification of weather elements is something I just really, really enjoy. Like, I really, I try to make the world around them part of like the thoughts that are in their head. So, you know, if they're angry or really upset, like the weather, the weather will reflect or, you know, there'll be an item or a token in the room that kind of, they almost, um, what's the word? I guess, um, I, I can't think of the exact, the exact word, but they like personify that thing as their own thoughts. I'm not explaining it very well, but if you can, if you can create like the theme and the motif in, in that, that scene of whether it's like really sort of like horror or anger or, you know, um, sadness or whatever it is, and just make all the little things drip in and touch on and just amplify that emotion, that, that thing that's happening in that scene. That's, that's really, really powerful. Um, I'm writing, I'm writing a, a story at the minute. And as this character is walking through the forest, he's confused. He's like angry. He's upset. Uh, and the sky is essentially on fire. It's not, but like I describe it in a way that it feels like it is. And then Therefore, the bark looks burnt. It's not burnt, but it looks burnt. And then, like, you kind of get all the crispness of the grass and the leaves. And even though they're not on fire or they're not burnt, burnt, just adding those motifs and sort of echoing and amplifying that thing that they think they're feeling. Because then you can pull them out of that and or the reader out of that. And you can kind of go to another part where a character's talking and everything's fine for them. And, like, we've all had it where we've, you know, been stood next to our friends and we've been terrified or sad or like elated and they've not reflected the same thing. Like we think whatever we think in our head. So if you can like show that in a book and in a, in a story, I think that's just really, really powerful. And without being a sycophant, um, <laughs> I will say that one of my um, favorite things in When Winter Comes is your personification of the weather. Mm. The weather's a character in that book. Yeah, it is. I was gonna say the exact same thing. Now, <laughs> oh. Moving on. So the last <laughs> question for this evening is from River, and I thought this was this was a nice little um, fun one to end on. She says, <laughs> just in case this hasn't been asked enough of you, have you watched Old Flag Means Death, and did you enjoy it? No, to the first part. Okay, so did you enjoy it? And I thought it was fantastic. Part. Probably, probably the best thing I saw. I haven't seen. <laughs> Yeah. 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 No, I haven't watched it yet. It's um. Yeah, my my to watch list is is large. (laughs) But by all means, River, if you give me some, if you give me some good reasons to push out my list, then throw them over, and maybe it will. There we go. Well, that I think that's a nice place to uh, wrap up. You've disappointed everybody by not having satisfying answer to the last question. (laughs) Uh, We could call it suspense, if you like. Yeah, um, yeah sure. we've, we've created suspense. Will yeah. Dan have watched that <laughs> show, Flag Means Death, by the next AMAs? Who knows? Tune in next time to find next out. And go. thank you very much, Sam. And thank you, everyone, for joining. And to everyone listening, we'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs>